Well, my name is Tim Chen. I am the discipleship pastor here at Village Church. If you are looking for Michael Fueling, he is in Florida. And he tells me he is working. Um, so I don't think that is 100% true, but I'm guessing it is 100% true right now because he should be preaching in a, in a church of someone that you guys might know, Jerry Gleason. And so he's down there. He and Brianna are down there doing some workshops for them and helping them in their church. So it's my honor to open God's word to you uh, today. Uh, I'd ask that you pray for me. I have been sick for about the last 10 days and um, uh, been in bed for the last two and a half. So um, hopefully we will be able to get through this with the least amount of difficulty. Um, So let me ask you to participate with me and see if you can identify who I'm talking about. It started as an ordinary day, checking on his older brothers, but it ended with him being thrown into a pit, sold into slavery, and carried off to Egypt. Who am I talking about? Good. It started as a regular day, watching over the sheep, actually his father-in-law's sheep. But it ended with him barefoot and listening to a voice from a burning bush. Okay, you're doing great. Harder one now. It started as just an ordinary day, gleaning grain in the field for the leftovers for her and her mother-in-law. But it ended with her eating at a banquet meal with her future husband. Ooh, you guys are great. You know your Bibles. You know, I could go on and on, but the Bible is filled with stories where God changed people's plans in an instant, in a moment, in a day. He changed their direction very quickly. And most of us here are old enough to know that God has done the very same thing for us. Our day starts as an ordinary day. Our our day starts as just something that we normally go through. And by the end of the day, our life is in a totally different direction. How are we going to respond and how are we going to receive God's change to our plans? Because that's what we're really going to be talking about today. How do we receive God's change to our plans? Because we have plans. I don't know about you, but I have plans. I wake up every morning. I go through the week. I have plans. There's things to do. There's a checklist to make uh, and to check off. Sometimes I'm one of those weird ones that I'll put things on my list just to check it off. Maybe you're like that as well. How do we receive these changes? You know, last week's message, uh, Pastor Craig was here last week, and he talked about the angel's visit to, to, to the Virgin Mary, this young teenage girl who likely was never totally on board with everything that this angel had said to her. And yet she was going to give birth to a son, and that son's name was going to be Jesus. Now, we look at that from 2,000 years ahead, and we look back and say, ah, it is clear as crystal. We know what the angel is saying. But as Craig said last week, there are things that the angel said that Mary, as a young Jewish girl, could not have fully comprehended in that one-time meeting. She would not have understood that she was giving birth to the Savior of the world, She was understanding, she was giving birth to a king, a mighty one, someone that would deliver Israel from all their oppression. But she couldn't understand everything. How was she going to receive this news? 
You know, she could have done the thing that many of us do. You know, this young girl could have said, you know what? Thanks, but no thanks. My life is just fine the way it is. Leave me alone. She could have said that. She could have been like Abraham and negotiated and said, now look, um, I am betrothed. I'm engaged. Why don't we pick this up in a year or two? And then we'll get on board with this. But she didn't do that either. We know what she did. She embraced what the angel had said, even though she didn't fully understand. And she said, I'm all in. Whatever the Lord has for me, I'm there. I'm all in. But what next is going to happen in her life? What is she going to do with this message? Who is going to believe her? What would her parents' reactions be? Remember, she's a young girl living in the home of her mom and dad. And she's got to announce this news to them. What would her village say? These are some big questions that this young girl is going to have to talk and deal with. Last week's passage ended with what the angel said. And this is what we left with last week. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So again, today's message is all about how we receive God's change to our plans. I have three points and three, I hope, practical ways in which we can receive God's change to our plans. And the first one is seek affirmation from God. I want to give you two words of caution here. You know, I have heard and I have been in ministry long enough, and and I know many of you have heard people say, God's given me a new plan in life. He's given me a new direction in life. I'm ready to charge forward with this. But I want to give you two cautions. Number one, don't go off half-cocked. You know what that means, don't you? It means that you're not really ready to do what is necessary. You haven't really put enough thought in it. You know, often we feel like um, this new direction of God is, is going to be great for our lives, but we've never checked or we don't check God's word first. Is God's new direction according to his word? You know, God's got a new plan for me. I'm going to rob banks. Oh, really? I think there's a problem with that because the Bible says thou shalt not steal. Have you checked with God's spirit? The Holy Spirit is given to us who who have trusted Christ as our Savior. And the Spirit bears witness to our spirit that something is true or not true. So what does the Spirit say about this new direction? And the third thing is, what does God's people say? Those that also have the Holy Spirit. Check with them. What does God's people say about this new direction for your life? Is it affirmed by them as well? And the second thing I want to caution us about is... (coughs) It's not uncommon for people to ask for a sign when it it seems that God has given them a new direction for a certain situation. Be very careful about seeking a sign. Be very careful about seeking a sign from God about something that you know is already true. You know, I need a sign. Does God really care about the lost? I don't need a sign for that. I know I'm really wondering, you know, I need to seek a sign. God wants me to divorce my wife. Sorry, honey, that's not true, but. Really? I need a sign for that? 
No, you don't need a sign for that. You need to go back to God's word and you need to see that God has already affirmed it. We need to be very careful about seeking signs from God about something that he clearly has talked about or written about in his word or something that he has affirmed already about his character. We should never ask God for those kind of signs. This is not what Mary is doing. By the way, we're going to find out about a guy named Zechariah who also was seeking for a sign because he said, this thing can't be true. This thing that you're telling me, this angel, you can't be telling me this is true because it can't be true. And then he ended up suffering some pretty bad consequences for about nine months. Mary is not seeking affirmation about something that she's already believed to be true. (coughs) So let me pick up our reading today in verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. It seems that Mary quickly, very quickly, started making plans saying, okay, I've had an angel visit me. The angel has given me this new direction for my life. I need to get some God-given affirmation. And so she quickly makes this plan. She's going to travel about 75 miles, which is in those days about three to five days journey. Remember who she is? A young teenage girl going to travel three to five days to her older cousin's home. Think about how high the stakes are for Mary. Consider these questions. Who would believe her? Would even her parents believe her? How could she allow her family's name to be so tarnished because of the situation? How would her engaged husband, how would he respond? Would he believe her? Would she be put to death? Because that's what they did in those days. Did Mary tell her parents where she was going and why? I think she probably did. I don't think she ran away from home. I think she said, Mom, Dad, I'm going to go visit you know, my cousin, Elizabeth. But did she tell her, them why? I don't know. The mercy of God is all throughout this story. And if you don't get anything at all from this message, I want you to get two things. The mercy of God, the love of God is so overshadowing all of this story. It is just so incredible to take this young girl and to throw mercy upon mercy upon mercy in her situation. To demonstrate God's loving care over her in this situation just continues to demonstrate God's goodness. And then the second thing I want you to notice is her response is joy. It is not fight, it is not fright, it is not flight, it is joy. Listen to what about the mercy of God. The angel had told Mary that Elizabeth, her much older cousin, had already experienced a miracle just like she was about to experience. And the angel gave Mary a place to go to because (coughs) the angel knew that people wouldn't believe her. Her hometown wouldn't believe her. And God gave her a champion that could help her through this new plan and his, and his uh, change to her life. Mary wouldn't have to tell this miraculous story alone. You think about that. This was not Mary's story alone to tell. 
I mean, it was, but she's going to have others that come alongside of her. God would take care of all the important people in Mary's life. Joseph, her engaged husband, would later be visited by the same angel Gabriel, and he would be given the direction of what God wanted him to do. Listen to what Matthew chapter 1 says. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived of her uh, in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus. And now he gets a piece of information that Mary was not given. Listen to these last line, this last line. For he, the baby, shall save his people from their sins. Mary wasn't told that. Elizabeth had already been visited by the angel. She had already been told about this miraculous thing that was going to happen to her. And so she was going to easily believe that the same thing could happen to her cousin. Zechariah, Elizabeth's husband, the one that uh, we're going to find out about next week, um, was a priest. (coughs) He was not just a priest, but he gets a visit from the angel while he is doing his once-in-a-lifetime duty of uh, the incense of altar. That is when the angel shows up to him. A a once-in-a-lifetime experience, and it is a a once-in-a-lifetime experience because the angel visits him. But Zechariah doubts that this thing can be true, that the angel tells him. But later he believes. And apparently even Mary's parents are on board with what's happening in this scenario within three months of what we read about today. Pick up the reading in verse 41. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And, the, and blessed is, the, is she who believed that, that there would be a fulfillment in what was spoken to her from the Lord. We do not know exactly when the Holy Spirit overshadows Mary. Because what we read about last week is it was a future prophecy that the Holy Spirit would overshadow her and she would get pregnant with this child. But apparently, on this journey from her own home to Elizabeth's home, this miracle happens. It is very likely that it is on this journey. One commentator that I was reading about rightly pointed out that while on the surface, this appears to be a visit between two mothers. It is really a visit between two babies. The baby, the baby John leaped in his mother's womb. So John's, John's miraculous ministry begins in the womb. So please don't tell me, please don't tell me that it's only tissue before that baby is born. It's not. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting 
of Mary. The baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry. This is an excitement cry. The joy that just is permeating the story of of Mary and, and Elizabeth. And she says, blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how can she say this? It's because Mary is pregnant. And Mary doesn't even know that she's pregnant. It's only happened within the last few days. And she goes on to say this. Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Elizabeth's humble amazement that she would be included in participating in this direct plan of God just seems to be overwhelming her. And that should be every one of our responses when we're included in what God is doing, that he would include us in his miraculous work in his kingdom. And he does that through changes to our plans. Now, I'm going to go out on the limb and I'm going to say some things that will probably offend some of my non-evangelical friends. Nowhere in the New Testament is Mary called the mother of God. Nowhere. How many of you have prayed Hail Marys? Can you raise your hand? How many of you prayed Hail Marys? The official title to that is the Ave Maria. And it goes like this. Hail Mary, full of grace. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, mother of God, pray for us sinners. Now and at the hour of our death, amen. Many of you have heard that. Whether you grew up in a Catholic church or a Lutheran church, maybe an Episcopal church, you've heard that. And you've prayed that prayer. That is the most, that is one of the two most powerful prayers that you can pray in those denominations. The other one is Our Father, you know, the Lord's Prayer. It is amazing what liberty the Catholic Church has taken with this. The Catholic Church has joined these two greetings of Mary, the first one from the angel Gabriel and the second one from Elizabeth, to make this prayer. But they go much further than what the biblical text says. The, by the way, I'm quoting from the Catholic Encyclopedia right now. And it explains, in point of fact, there is little or no trace of a Hail Mary to be prayed as accepted devotion, uh, accepted devotional formula before about 1050 AD. For a thousand years, it was never used in the church. And the official prayer of the Ave Maria was not finalized until after the publication of the Catechism of the Council of Trent in 1568. And yet it is one of two of the most powerful prayers you can possibly pray in those denominations. I think there's a problem. Nowhere is Mary said to be, said to be the mother of God. Nowhere is she said to be holy in Scripture. Verse 45 says this, Blessed is she who believed. This is Elizabeth speaking about Mary that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. 
how did Mary know that Mary, how did Elizabeth know that Mary had already believed what the angel had told her? It's because her actions are demonstrating it. You know, we so easily say, well, of course I believe God. Of course I believe that his, his word is true. Of course I believe that he's good. But do we act on it? Mary is acting on what she knows to be true as if it's already done. And Elizabeth is living with a mute as a husband because he didn't believe and he didn't act on what he should have known was true. What do you think, what do you think Elizabeth's husband thought, by the way? What do you think about Zechariah? Zechariah is now home. His duties of the priesthood are now on hold. He is home when this young girl shows up. His niece, she sh- or cousin, excuse me, she shows up. A pregnant, unwed teenager shows up at the doorstep of a pastor's home. What do you think the pastor's response is going to be? There's going to be sadness, disappointment, probably very unlikely going to be yippee. But then again, probably by this time, Zachariah has learned his lesson. Well, the second point I want to make is act on it yourself. When God changes your plans, act on it yourself. Mary had already demonstrated that she was acting on what the angel had told her to be true. (coughs) Now she puts to song what she had been thinking and what she had been feeling in her heart on this journey. Because I believe she wrote this song on the journey from her home to to visit Elizabeth. Mary's song is often called the Magnificent. And it's because of the Latin word that I will magnify the Lord. It's very similar to the prayer of Hannah from 1 Samuel chapter 2. It's very stylistic to an Old Testament psalm. Most of these words are not new or original to Mary. In fact, they are almost completely Old Testament texts that she already knew. And we often think that children can't learn the Bible or memorize the Bible. But now she's applying them to her own situation. (coughs) True faith doesn't come from just knowing the right verses. While that helps, it does help knowing the right verses in your situation. But true faith comes from living if those right verses, living as if those right verses apply to your situation specifically. What most often gets us sidetracked when God changes our plans is that we forget that He is for us. Right? We get all upset. God changed my plans. I didn't plan for it to work out this way. And we get all upset and we get all in a frenzy because we forget God is for me. God loves me. He cares for me. He wants what's best for me. And if my plans change, then he is the one that's orchestrating it. And he knows what's best for me. So Mary says these words. And she starts with this song reflecting about herself. And then she'll move on in another direction. Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. (coughs) For he he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. 
For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. Holy is his name. You know, once again, I'm going to upset some people here. And I don't mean this, I, I don't mean this with any maliciousness at all. But we need to correct false doctrine. Mary says, God, my Savior. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. She does not talk about her special place of grace or importance. She knows who she still is. Nothing has changed in her view about herself. She's clearly answering the wrong theology of the Roman Catholic dogma that talks about immaculate conception, which holds the the point that from the moment that Mary conceived, that she remained free of the taint of original sin. Mary says, God, my Savior. Only sinners need a Savior. She understood she was a sinner. All the things that God has done for her, she embraces. For he has looked on, my, on the humble estate of his servant. And behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Mary would not be called blessed because of some intrinsic personal worth or holiness on her part. Because, <coughs> but because of the child that she was bearing. And I want you to consider Genesis 30, verse 13. Thank you. You guys are so great. I know you're just getting tired of hearing it. (laughs) So am I. Listen to what Genesis 30, verse 13 says. And it, it refers to Leah. And if you know the Genesis account in Leah, this is the girl that was not loved as much as her sister. And Leah said, happy am I, for women have called me happy or blessed. And so she named the son Asher. Because she now has another son. And she thinks, because of this, women will look on me in favor. Very similar to what Mary is talking about. Verse 49, he who is mighty has done great things. Holy is his name. It is God who is unique. It is not Mary who is unique. It is not her declaration of her holiness, but it's God's. He is the one who is set apart. He is the one who has done great things. And Mary is completely receptive in how God is turning her world upside down. It just seems amazing that Mary seems to be able to understand what we know to be true in Paul's writing. You know, many of us know Romans 8.28, right? For God makes all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And Mary is basically living as if that's true. She's functioning if it's true, even though that passage hasn't been written. God always has the right thing and the best thing for each of us. He is the one who is holy. He is the one who loves us. He is the one that we need to surrender to and be joyous about. My third point is this. Look to the bigger picture. 
Mary, in her song, now turns and kind of opens back, pulls back and says, you know what? I've been talking about what God has done for me. Let's talk about how God is going to use this, this situation in my life, to become a blessing to all. And often that's what we miss when God changes our plans. We, we, we are so focused on our plans. And yet God says, you know, if I can do something different in your life, it will be such a blessing to so many more people other than you. Now, I'm going to get super technical here, and I, 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 I think it's important to note this. The tenses of these verbs that Mary is going to use from verses 50 through 56 are, are, are called futuristic aorists. I know that means a lot, right? Well, get, get ready for this. They're equivalent to the Hebrew prophetic perfect. You say, what in the world are you talking about? All right, so it is like a proverb. Okay, these, these last few verses, these last six verses of hers, of her song, are, are like a proverb. And this is what she's saying. She's going to use verbs that have past tense action as if they will go from here and they will continue on through the future. So don't get caught up, and this is what I'm saying, don't get caught up with the idea of Mary is saying, this happened in the past. No, Mary is saying, this happened in the past, it is happening now, and it will happen in the future because this is prophetic. Okay? That is what she's saying. She saw God's bigger picture in all that he was doing. She saw God's plan included her, but it, that it would also include others as well. And she, she connected God's plan with what she already knew about God and his character. Verse 50 says this. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. <coughs> he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. And he has spoken to our fathers to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. just want to point out some things about this, these verses. What a promise. What a promise that we can embrace and hold on to. That for those who fear him from generation to generation, this was not just for Mary. This was for all who fear him from generation to generation to generation. What a promise. And it talks about God's character. That God loves and cares for each of his children. The righteous, those who will look and turn to God, are objects of his blessing. You know, years ago, I was in student ministry. And I would tell the teenagers all along. We just tell them this over and over and over again. You want the blessing of God? You want the blessing of God in your life? then it, that blessing is always tied, always tied to, God, to obedience to God and his word. You've got to be obedient to receive the blessing. And that is exactly what he's saying here. Those who fear him from generation to generation, his mercy is wonderful. And he has shown his strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud. <coughs> God's work is always certain. 
He scatters the, the proud of, in their thoughts of their hearts. You know, proud people are always the ones that have difficulty changing their minds and receiving God's change to their, to their plans, right? None of us are proud, right? The gospel penetrates the hearts of the humble, though, and it grates against the heart of the proud. Jesus said this, for, whatever, whoever will, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. He brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of a humble estate. Mary realized the incredible grace that God had shown to her, but also the incredible grace that he would show to all those that belonged to him. This grace is far more important than the stuff of the world. You know, we often look at what we have and we either are satisfied or we're dissatisfied. What we don't look at is what Mary is singing about. And by the way, remember, this is a song, and there would be no way in the world that I would even try to sing it, especially today. Her attitude is all about God's grace, God's goodness. And she can say this in spite of her circumstances. How do you think you would feel if someone that you knew appeared to be more blessed than you? How do you, how do you react to that? You know, when you look at other people in this congregation or other people in your community, do you ever wonder, like David, God, what are you doing? Why are the evil... No. That's your neighbors, right? Why are others being blessed and I'm not being blessed? But yet the blessings of God are not immaterial things. The blessing of God is knowing that he cares deeply for you and for me. That he has our best interests at heart all the time. He has filled the hungry with good things. Mary's plate was, was full. Maybe not with the king's delicacies, but by God's favor. And in these verses of 53 and 54, Mary is quoting a psalm trilogy, which is Psalm 105, 106, and 107. <coughs> these psalms are, are celebration psalms that Israel wrote when they returned from exile from Babylon. And they, <coughs> they describe Israel's joy of being reinstilled in God's plan in relationship to him. Listen to what Psalm 107.9 says. For God satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul. He fills with good things. Verse 54, he, he has helped his servant Israel and remembered in remembrance of his mercy. You see how many times that word keeps coming up? He has spoken to our fathers. This is pretty amazing, this, this way in which she says this. He has spoken to our fathers, meaning her, her immediate ancestors, her grandfather, great-grandfather, and those. But also to Abraham and to his offspring forever. In Mary's eyes, God doesn't change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what she is saying is that God is there for us, for all his people. 
Mary has remained, Mary remains steadfast in what God is doing. She doesn't waver. She doesn't wonder about what this pregnancy is going to mean. And the passage ends with these words. And Mary remained with her, with Elizabeth, about three months and returned to her home. Apparently, this is close to the time that John would be born, if not right after. Why she leaves after John's birth or right before, I don't know. But both Mary and Elizabeth responded the same way, in the same way that we should when God changes our plans. The attitudes of these women represent the attitude that God desires for all his children. For Mary, it was her joy to share in the events associated with Jesus. And for us, it's our joy to share in the life of trusting in him as well. So I have some so what questions for you. So what? How do you receive the changes that God brings your way? Do you argue? Do you negotiate? Do you submit? Or do you actively participate in God's change? I think most of us have probably said, well, I think I've done all of the above, right? Here's my first so what. Faith is not simply believing something is tr- to be true. It is living my life if it is already, it, as if it already is. Either God has got this thing that he's changed, or he doesn't. What are we going to believe? How are we going to respond? God's changed my plans. This is not a surprise to him. It didn't take him by surprise that he, you know, suddenly caused this situation to go in a different direction. Somehow he's allowing this to happen or orchestrating it on his own. The Bible is clear that God always has our best interest at heart. If we love him and if we put him first. Do you live your life as he does? Or do you fret like you don't know if God really cares about you? Number two, faith is applying God's promise to your real life situation, just like Mary did. You know, Mary's quotation of Old Testament scripture in her song is is amazing. She knew God's word as a young teenage girl. We need to know God's word as well, because it is the word that roots us in the character of God. She saw that this was God's plan. And received it as, as if it was applying God's word to her life. And number three, what else can I learn from Mary about receiving God's change to my plans? What can I learn? Something only you can answer. You pray with me. <coughs> Father, there's been a lot in this this text today. It's been a lot about a young girl more than 2,000 years ago and how she responded to a change in her plans. And yet so much of this in this passage is still for us today. Maybe for us even more today. Because we make plans We think we know what's best. Sometimes we even argue with you with what's best. 
And yet from what we've seen here today, we can trust you. Your mercy is new every day. It's afresh. Your love is steadfast. Your promises are sure. Let us rest in those. Challenge us. Challenge us not to leave here the same as we entered in. Especially in this Christmas season, when so many things come through hustle and bustle, let us quiet our hearts and reflect on your goodness. In Jesus' name.